Hey everyone, what an extraordinary story we have for you today. It could be straight out of a James Bond film, but it's not. It's real. It has espionage, it has top gun fighter pilots and jets, it has cutting edge technology, it has amazing new inventions that could change the world or be used as weapons of mass destruction. It has foreign spies, CIA disinformation agents, and patents filed as red herrings to foreign governments. The story has real-world engagements by an aircraft carrier-led strike group against unknown and identified and unidentified aircraft. It even has X-Files spooks and corrupt funding, as well as campaign finance irregularities. But what makes this story even more compelling is that it's all real and it's playing out in our world in front of us right now. Just this Friday, one of the most respected newspapers in the world, the New York Times, revealed that the Office of Naval Intelligence, the ONI, has been investigating UFOs despite Pentagon statements that it disbanded the covert ATIP program previously run by Luis Elizondo, the, the, the whistleblower. Senator Marco Rubio this week from Florida, he expressed his concern regarding UFO sightings above U.S. military bases and urged the government to investigate and determine who or what is responsible. The New York Times reports that Eric Davis, an astrophysicist who worked as a subcontractor and then a consultant for the Pentagon UFO program since 2007, said that in some cases, examination of materials, metamaterials, had failed to determine their source and led him to conclude that we couldn't make this stuff ourselves, implying that they came from recovered, crashed vehicles. Mr. Davis, who now works for Aerospace Corporation, a defense contractor, said that he gave a classified briefing to a Defense Department agency as recently as March about retrievals from off-world, quote, off-world vehicles not made on this earth, end quote. This is from the New York Times. Three months ago, the U.S. Department of Defense took the extraordinary step of making a formal statement confirming that UFO videos, which have been reported on extensively by the world's media since 2017, were in fact genuine gun camera footage, and crucially, also conf- the the uh, Department of Defense also confirmed that the Navy still deems these flying objects as unidentified. So they don't. They're saying, confirming they don't know what they are. Mike Turber, my guest today, is a former U.S. Air Force intelligence specialist. He has information which he believes proves that the UFOs cited by the Department of Defense are in fact top secret U.S. aircraft. Not only that, but Mr. Turbo believes he has conclusive evidence that the aircraft have figured out ways to beat the laws of gravity. This technology, if released, could in theory solve the world's energy problems and allow us to cease the use of fossil fuels. If it is ET, then it's the biggest story in the history of humanity. If it's U.S. top-secret technology, then why isn't it being released? How does Mike Turbo know what he knows? Well, listen now and find out. This is the misread with Ben Kelly. Recorded live. This, um, this whole story, it's, it's, it's absolutely fascinating. It's unprecedented. Um, it's been discussed. Absolutely. Yeah, it's been, it's been discussed ad nauseum, ad infinitum by the, the global press now, um, not surprisingly being the first time ever that the US government has come out and confirmed that they have uh, gun camera footage of these extraordinary vehicles, um, which they de- define as UFOs, not necessarily 
meaning that they're from one origin or another, whether that's more mundane or more uh, ethereal or otherworldly. Um, but it's just that we've never obviously had this kind of situation before. I know you're going to give us some your your the information that you've gathered and the conclusions that you've made, which are absolutely uh, fascinating. But before we do that, I just thought, could you maybe introduce us a little bit to yourself and where what your background is and how you came to have this type of information uh, in your hands? Okay, well, um, pretty much I entered the Air Force uh, in 84, 85, and uh, was quickly recruited out and into some other areas of the government. And um, since then, I've been on and off a contractor where I would work with different, uh, mostly cybersecurity firms and things like that, where we would go in and do different types of uh, testing, like penetration testing. We would do uh, various, uh, basically just attempting to break into a facility to find out if that facility's security was up to par. Um, that That's one of the main things that I would do. And also we would, um, go into uh, basically surveillance um, analysis of surveillance things like that so essentially i guess my the civilian term would be a senior intelligence analyst which would be the closest term of what i was when i was working uh in the government but um, for the most part the last few years have been rather strange um, i've been working um, a lot of my skills tend to cross over into some other areas and the last few years I've been working on the Las Vegas shooting investigation, which is the largest mass shooting in US history. And um, I kind of went in on, on that and found quite a bit of evidence that wasn't uh, uh, you know, readily available, I guess, to the LVMPD or the FBI or what have you. So that was a rather interesting experience. And during that time, because the shooting was on October 1, and then December, I think it was December 16th, is when the information was released by the uh, to the stars academy um, and the videos came out um, and what captured my attention uh, was not so much the video but the audio that i heard um, on a couple of the uh, of the of the videos that they were playing and that that kind of played back in my mind and i remembered this scenario Back in 2005, I think it was late February, early March of 2005, I received a phone call, and it was from uh, a person that that I knew quite well, and they were rather excited, um, and asking me uh, if I would take a listen to something. Um, but the the first call was just this person telling me that they had ran across some information that they don't really know how to respond to it and the person trusted my judgment on quite a few things he's uh talked to me about various subjects and we've bounced things back off each other we worked with each other uh, quite quite a bit but i was no longer you know in at that moment but he um called me back a day later because he wanted me to hear something so i listened to what he had and that was some comms of some communication going back and forth between uh, what at the time I didn't know the name of the ship or anything like that. It was just some pilots talking back and forth. And I, I was able to hear uh, them talk about an object that they had seen and things like this. And he asked me what I thought of it. And I basically told him at the time, I said, I don't really 
have enough information to go on to know what to think of it, but it sounds pretty, pretty interesting. And then um, a few days later, he called me back and we talked a little bit. He had found out what it was. He thought what they were looking at was a extraterrestrial um, craft and things of that nature. So he, so uh, it, when he told sorry, Mike, if I can put you, just stop you real quick for a second there, just so that sure. for the listening audience who, who don't, uh, who haven't been following this for whatever reason, it's kind of hard to yeah. miss, but okay. just in case, in 2004, there was this so-called Nimitz encounters. This is, Correct. this was the photo that, or the video footage that was, we discussed a little while ago that was released officially by the Department of Defense and actually right. confirmed explicitly by the Department of Defense, by the US government as unidentified aircraft. And this was uh, based on a video that came from 2004. I know you just mentioned this was in 2005 that your your um, associate came to you with this um, comms audio. Yeah. So yeah, this, me, this was coming from this Nimitz uh, event that was happening off the coast of San Diego and which has caused all this furor and come out this this uh, back in 2017, I believe they first released the video. Correct. And And but at the time I didn't know the, any any of that i didn't know what, what ship it was i really didn't know much about it all all i knew was he was excited that he had stumbled across he's an av specialist and what he does is sets up um the the video briefings or the the powerpoint briefing presentations uh for for various um uh i'm trying to keep him <laughs> as much of a secret as possible without sure. revealing too much of course but he he would set up the the briefings and also work with the data sets that would come in and they would actually make graphics to show uh, the flight characteristics of whatever they were talking about. And his experience uh, previous to that was also, he had worked with the X-43 um, and some other, um, you know, some other air aircraft and some experimental aircraft and things like that. And he would convert the data over to some form of graphic that would make sense because uh, the visuals just weren't, um, you know, as great as they are today, you know, the, the, the way they were doing it back then. So it was really just kind of a boring presentation. But what he was, what he didn't understand was what he was looking at was and hearing and was a pilots talking about an object that was obviously, in his opinion, out of this world. Um, but he called me back about three days later after, after I'd listened to the comms and asked me what I thought about those. And, you know, basically I just told him, I don't know what to think. I don't have enough information to go on, but it but definitely sounds interesting. So a few days go by, he calls me back and says, hey, I found out what it was, you know, and he can't really tell me too much about it, but it was basically an experimental program that had come up through DARPA and they were working with the Air Force Research uh, Laboratory and also apparently a little bit with the Navy uh, Research Laboratory. And they were working on some new crafts that um, were very experimental, but had some flight characteristics that were rather crazy. So anyway, that, that kind of went away and I didn't really think much of it. Mm -hmm. Then in 2017, when the videos came out, um, and then I was, they were, they were talking about, um, the, the communications that were going back and forth between the ship and the pilots. And then when David Fravers, um, testimony came out about what he was exactly saying back to the ship, a bell went off on my head and I realized that that was the same thing. It was exactly the same comm. So what I've learned since then, and after doing a lot of research, uh, because it became interesting to me overnight, obviously, for obvious reasons, I felt like I had a connection to it. Mm -hmm. And 
And I started studying it to see what was going on. And I talked to my friend extensively and come to find out these objects uh, that were performing some rather incredible maneuvers, um, depending on which math uh, you're using and which, uh, which information you're going by. The, these crafts were going up to 250,000 miles an hour uh, and all of these incredible maneuvers that obviously if a person was inside, they would be liquefied almost instantly. But um, anyway, so what came out of that was when I pressed, pressed him on some of the information that the craft at that time was the Air Force uh, craft. And that Air Force craft was basically being utilized and being tested uh, against the Navy mm. to see how the Navy would respond uh, to this aircraft. Now, the Navy was in on it, too. So the, your higher your higher command you know, understood what was going on. And the reason why it makes sense, and this will make the whole thing make sense, and I'm surprised no one else has really pressed this issue enough. But if the, you have to look at it from several, several key standpoints. One is several of the, of the sailors said that uh, people came on board the uh, aircraft carrier and also onto the Princeton and took a lot of the data sets uh, or the data bricks is what they call them off those ships and those personnel were referred to as air force personnel um yeah i heard that they i think they only saw whether whether it was the admiral or the the most senior um guy on the on the ship and they were supposedly wearing air air force um uniform right air force uniform i think someone referred to them that they were wearing uh casual clothes at one point but then we're wearing Air Force flight suits, which are obviously not readily available. But the, for the Air Force to go on to a Navy vessel while the Navy vessel is at sea mm -hmm. and to take the data from that vessel doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, the only way it makes sense is if that uh, what the whole event was essentially uh, put on by the Air Force and uh, also obviously subsequently by the Navy. They essentially test their systems to see if the the systems uh, would would be able to detect the craft. So, so, what, so the point being that the senior naval personnel mm -hmm. were aware of what was happening and were aware that this was a test. But yeah, and he, and here's the here's the basic proof of that. Without even having to reveal any anything classified or anything like that of that nature, it's a real simple task to perform. The if those craft were there for days. And they were in that airspace. I think they call it Whiskey One or something like that. It's a designated airspace off the coast of uh, SoCal mm -hmm. where they were doing their training. And if those craft were entering that airspace over a period of several days, it would make sense that they would go investigate those crafts a lot earlier. Mm -hmm. They were coming in at 80,000 feet, according to Kevin Day, and they were moving at about 100 knots, which is at 80,000 feet, 100 knots, a winged aircraft cannot even maintain lift at that speed. It's just the air's too thin. It just it wouldn't work. So obviously some other type of uh, propulsion or something was going on. So bells and whistles would go off in my mind anyway. But they were coming in from Catalina, um, going down the coast. They would be picked up on SPY-1B radar, which is a phased array radar, which is a very advanced radar, even though it's been around since the late 1800s. It's just it's. The, the current version is extremely advanced 
and I and they had just done a upgrade to their Spy One B radar system. So the the questions that would naturally come to mind, and the reason why I you know a lot of people want to think these things are extraterrestrial, I do too, to be honest with you. But the more I dug into this, the more I realized that that simply they're not there is a, a more terrestrial explanation mm -hmm. but there's a lot of questions that also have to be answered but the main thing is this if those crafts were flying in at will and they were seen over days and under american uh orders or american you know protocol it would be you would send up some sort of craft to intercept them a lot earlier than than what they had done even kevin day stated that he was concerned about him for days, but because the people that he was training, he had been training for over a year, he wanted to watch how they would respond to it. But on the day that they were going to do a, a training exercise in which 30 aircraft were gonna be put into the air, he felt that that might be a problem, um, that they would be in the airspace, they, it would be a safety issue. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's when they tasked their aircraft to go over to see these objects. Mm -hmm. So the, the issues at hand is that whenever they went over and saw the craft, now we, we can go through the whole thing of what David Prager saw and the flight characteristics of the objects and what have you, but the, the end result is that you have this Navy aircraft go over to intercept without any missiles, without any weapons, without any armament whatsoever. They weren't, in other words, the rails weren't hot. And they were even asked when they were going over there to make certain that this aircraft had no weapons. So this is during a training exercise, they send the aircraft over that obviously has no weapons to look at an object that, that is performing some rather incredible mm. flight characteristics, knowing that they couldn't possibly shoot this thing down. And so that, yeah. that, that question about whether the, the quote, the rails were hot, which is Navy um, terminology for the, having weapons on the, Right. On the aircraft. The, that, who was asking and checking that, did you say? Was that coming from, from the the senior naval um, commander on, on board the Nimitz? No, that would be from, well, the actual call to the ship would be from someone that's doing ATC, which is basically the air traffic. Oh, control. okay. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So that, that would be a person that would be asking that. And I think that person asked a, a previous, a, a, a flight went out before Fravor's flight. Okay. And that was actually the first flight that went to the area. Mm -hmm. So when that flight got there, they asked him the same question. He thought that was an odd question because, number one, they knew that they were in a training exercise, that they didn't have any weapons. They were going to, yeah. you know, that those planes were going to be utilized for a, a, a you know, yeah. a, a situation later. that It was basically a red team, blue team kind of mm -hmm. scenario. But the um, when he went there, he saw the, the disturbance in the water, but the, the first flight did not see that you know the tic tac that happened when when fravor and uh, i think the uh, lieutenant commander uh, slate when he came over um and he was the wizzo in the second aircraft and fravor was the commander of the first the the first aircraft so he sees the object uh maneuvering around dancing you know like a ping pong ball is how he described it about 50 feet or so above the water and then when he circled down to take a closer look the object noticed him and then you know which is which means it's intelligent intelligently operated and came up and then they they did their little uh dance so to speak mm -hmm. where they circled each other and then when he wanted to get closer he needed to cut that circle in half and when he dipped his nose down to do that that's when the tic-tac basically took off went over his 
wing, so to speak, and then was off in the distance in the blink of an eye, which 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 would be an incredible speed. Mm-hmm. But then the then the Tic Tac did some did something rather incredible. It showed up at the cap point, which mm-hmm. is your your Civil Air Patrol point, which is a a virtual spot in space where the the aircraft would go to to basically be in a holding pattern while they wait for further instructions or for their other um, for the wingman to come up or what have you. But for this object to know exactly where that point was, and it wasn't like it got near the cap point. It was literally on the exact cap point, same altitude, same, same everything. Um, so that, that shows a sign that someone knew where that was. And Fraber, uh, I guess he, he, I'm sure he wanted to go to the cap point to, to continue checking it out, but uh, the, he was low on fuel and was told to return back to the ship. Hmm. Now, the video that we see was not done by Fravor. The, the video was done by a later flight, and that flight took off, and that's where you get the, the FLIR uh, image that we see today um, from TTSA. Now, that, that video is grainy. It's not nearly the quality of what the original video would have been, uh, but that, there's a lot of reasons probably for that, and also the video is nowhere near as long as many of the sailors say that the original video was. And and I agree with that because we only see that object already on the screen and then it dips off to the to the left at the end of the video. And we know I mean anyone watching this would know that they don't just flip on that instrument at that moment. They you know, there's there's several minutes of video that we, that we're obviously missing here. So that, that becomes an issue. Yeah, because I think um, Commander Fravor said there was only the short video, which I, I agree, it seems strange. You would have thought that these aircraft would have be filming the whole time. Um, so it's yeah, seems- yeah, and I agree. And, and, and most of the other, uh, other than Fravor, which why Fravor says one thing and the other say another, which has created some contention amongst them, um, is, is kind of misunderstood or, or is not understood. But the... Virtually everyone else uh, believes that the video is at least five to seven minutes, but most likely somewhere closer to 10. And that makes more sense because each aircraft, when it takes off, the video or the, the flight recorders start when the plane takes off and they don't turn off until the plane is back. And they, they have that on every aircraft, including Fravor's aircraft. Mm-hmm. So he has video that came off of his aircraft as well, but it just won't be that FlirePod video, which is Mm-hmm. you know the, the video that we see which is you know obviously can zoom in is, and a whole lot more accurate representation of what was going on so that that's where we're at with with that but it you know there's a lot of questions that come up and the logical questions that based on some of the testimony that we hear is when the when Fravor comes back you know they have this apparently these air force personnel that are on the ship or or quickly get on the ship and take the data within 12 hours of the incident they're already on the ship and they're taking data before the before the ship pulls into port hmm. so and they wipe all of the data from from the ships and i don't mean just some of it they wiped everything and they literally had no media so when they pulled into port of arada 2 days later they actually had to replace all the media on all the ships because they had nothing to record onto other than what they needed for navigation. Well, yeah, you so, would have thought that if the naval um, senior personnel aboard the Nimitz um, were to get wind of the fact that some uh, individuals came on and wiped all the data without their permission, it must have been 
a consensual thing, right? They must have had agreement beforehand. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the captain was even with um, when when those two members went to, I believe it was maybe Gary uh, Voorhees that they, they asked him for the data, and, and he wasn't going to turn it over unless the captain said so. And of course, the captain came came down and, and told him to do so. Right. And he gave that data that that data over, um, and then was ordered to essentially wipe the entire system. That's something that had never been done before. That it was just not a normal uh, scenario that would happen. Another thing that that that's not been readily reported um, is that they were ordered. They, they, the ship went to general quarters, and that is something that had just doesn't happen in a normal peacetime scenario. So I think even one of the sorry yeah. sorry to stop you, Mike. General quarters. That means everyone has to go into their bunk, or what does that mean? General quarters is basically it's it, it gets everybody to their ready position, meaning that something's going on. They need to be prepared. They need to go to the battle stations, if you want to call it that. They need to be ready for whatever is about to happen. And so they were at general quarters, I think, for two to four hours. So that during the whole the whole time range, which brings up even more questions. If they went to general quarters, then why wasn't other aircraft that had weapons? why weren't they tasked from other bases that were nearby? Hmm. Uh, that, that would make a whole lot more sense. And the only answer that comes to mind that makes sense is because it was part of a planned uh, operation. And that is the only thing that would make sense. Hmm. Also, when Kevin Day was talking to the, the captain of the ship afterwards, it seemed like no one really cared. I mean, everyone that was not in the know seem to have a lot of questions going on the video was being you know bounced around the ship through their their secure system um and obviously a, a copy of it got off the ship as we apparently saw in 2007 but the um yeah you know it didn't go anywhere and for that event to have a ship go to general quarters which is which is something that hasn't really been reported that much i don't think you've even no one's even really heard about that for the ship to go to general quarters and then for nothing to happen, no real investigation afterwards was actually done other than, you know, their after action report um, is quite alarming to me. And, the, and as I talk to more people, the more I realize, the more entrenched I get into the, the sense that this is simply an operation that was done. Now, some people will argue, well, they would never do that because it would put their pilots in jeopardy. Um, that they would not have aircraft in that close proximity and things of that nature. Well, maybe that's exactly part of the test um, is to, you know, you were not going to test an object like this that has such advanced breakaway technology against another nation. You're not going to show your cards and what have you. So the key things to remember is the Nimitz was in a training scenario. The, they knew that the pilots would be flying planes that would not have weapons. They knew that if they tested against them that they wouldn't have to worry about some accidental uh, or some accident happening where they would accidentally shoot down one of these objects. Um, of course, at the speeds that they fly, you wouldn't think they'd be able to do that anyway. But then even when you fast forward to the 2015 incident with the Roosevelt, it's the exact same scenario. The two scenarios are synonymous. You have Spy-1B radar that was just upgraded on the Nimitz. Nimitz is in a training scenario. Objects appear. They send planes out to investigate. Planes come back. Nothing's ever done. Same thing, 2015. Roosevelt has just got a Spy-1B radar uh, upgrade. They have these objects appear. They send planes out. Um, nothing happens. And 
planes come back and they're done. So it's another training exercise. What I've basically found out since, and I'm trying to get the paper trail to, to really coincide with everything, but since uh, the last interview where I talked about where one of the objects is most likely made at Plant 42 by Lockheed, uh, the Navy version apparently is most likely made by Raytheon at Plant 44. So we've got two different um, variations of this the same craft utilizing similar propulsion and similar power, but operating uh, in very different unique ways. Apparently the Air Force version operates more in a surveillance capacity and the Navy version operates more as a supportive role or possibly an extra wingman using AI and things of that nature. So that's that's where we're going at this point. Okay, so that, so just to clarify, the 2004, that was the Nimitz uh, off Correct. the coast of California that we were going through in, originally. That was the Correct. Air Force, te, te, based on your hypothesis, which I know you can back up in different ways without giving obviously giving away your your sources, but that was, that was Air Force flying there um craft mm -hmm. which was called the tic tac and then right. you have this te uh, 11 years later you've got the uh jacksonville off the coast of jacksonville the gimbal which is the other ufo uh footage yeah. that the De department of defense released so right. again, yeah, gimbal and go fast gimbal um, okay. so, yeah yeah the, so those those two uh, apparently appeared off the coast of of, of jacksonville and a very similar set, series of events um which which is not really answered by anyone no no one has really addressed that issue that you know again both aircraft carriers had just had their their radar upgraded and then boom all of a sudden these objects appear they send out aircraft to investigate um and and we saw the response i mean the response from fravor was you know he, he wanted to fly it <laughs> yeah so um but he also believed sorry he also believed yeah. that these were not of this world so he's an ex very experienced Cap, yes. uh, head of the Black Aces, so he's a super experienced Top Gun guy. Absolutely. Uh, you know, kind of like yeah. a Top Gun instructor. And he looked yep. at these things and said, this is nothing that we have. So that that almost makes you kind of wonder, and I'm again like you, I want to believe. <laughs> but part of me always said, no, th there's gonna be a kind of Occam's razor type simple explanation. Right. And it's gonna right. be disappointing, but <laughs> we're gonna get yeah. there. And that's why I'm it so will be. I, 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 I definitely don't I definitely don't have the most popular hypothesis out there because <laughs> you know even with the New York Times story breaking you know the, the other day with with yes. Eric Davis um, and his assertions and I've, I've been emailing with with him um, you know trying to get a little bit more to this story but um, and the reasoning why he thinks they're from out of this world but just like you said using Occam's razor you break this down to the most simple simple explanations possible and try to just work with what makes more sense that these are extraterrestrial there's only three choices they're either extraterrestrial or they're terrestrial and not ours or they're terrestrial and ours that's really your only three choices yeah so if we if we explore the terrestrial versions if they were not ours then there's no way in the world that we would allow those aircraft to be flying off our coast at will for for a week which is basically what had happened and that would become a huge national security issue kevin day said they, they were coming down from over catalina island so they were already in our airspace we should have sent something out to take a look at these things especially if they're dropping down from eighty thousand feet now eighty thousand feet is the theoretical uh 
belief that that's where they that that's the altitude they drop from they could have dropped from a higher altitude but that's also the ceiling limit to the spy 1b radar so you know we don't know how 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 far up they were coming from that's just where they entered and where they were picked up on radar and then they would drop down to 28,000 or 20,000 feet or in some cases they would actually drop below the waterline yeah and when they drop below the waterline then that may be the part of the explanation as to what the disturbance was that Fraver saw in the water. That, that craft that was there when he came up on it may have, have been operating underwater. Well, I wonder, was, yeah, hmm. I, I often wondered when I heard about that, then I was surprised no one was suggesting that wasn't a submarine because you know they launched the missiles, the start, um, the uh, tomahawks mm -hmm. or whatever it is off right. out of the submarines. And supposedly this thing was in a cross shape. So maybe these craft, if they were U.S. top secret um, drones, maybe they came or or went back into a submarine. I wonder. Very, that that's very possible. Plus, they have been. Um, there's another incident that has not um, been revealed yet, but I, I mentioned it a while back. I did stumble across where a submarine had tracked an object that was moving at about 550 miles an hour underwater. Um, and so I don't know if it's exactly related to these same objects or not, but I don't have a reason to not believe that. Plus you have the incident off of Puerto Rico where this video from a Customs Border Patrol plane that actually filmed these objects going into the water and not dropping their speed at all. Literally they're above the water, they drop into the water and without losing any speed at all and then pull back out of the water, splits into two different objects or the same, basically two identical objects and then then they go back in the water and they're not seen again so that incident in and of itself is is rather unique and i'm surprised it doesn't have as much uh press time as 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 these um but um <laughs> we're in a, we're in a very interesting time right now because there's a lot of there's a lot of information there's a lot of speculation and my you know myself included i'm sure that, that some of the, the the ideas and things that i'm pushing forward are going to be questioned and ridiculed and what have you and i understand that that's part of the part of the situation that you have to have to live with uh but when i spoke to my source back in 2005 when he was doing the briefing um you know back then he didn't give me too much information because I, you know we were you know both under different scenarios but uh recently more recently he's he's discussed with me you know exactly who was there at the meeting, where the meeting was, uh, when it was, and that briefing uh, is uh, is obviously there's a there's a record of it, and we believe the record may have been revealed on December of last year or January of this year when it came out. Someone sent in a FOIA request, um, and the FOIA request came back with uh, information that pertained to a briefing uh, that was that had slides on it that had information that, that would pertain to the Tic Tac. Uh, and that may be some, uh, you know, the problem is I don't know if it's that same briefing or not, but if it is, it would definitely confirm the story. But why they would bring that up within three weeks of me making the announcement that, that my whole, a lot of my information is based on a briefing from 2005 and then lo and behold, a FOIA request comes out, not by me, by somebody else that explains um information that was held in a briefing and it pertains to specific slides that have top secret information on them and the, both me and my source we 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 feel that it's probably a pretty strong indicator that 
they they mentioned that because of of what I had said, but um, but I don't know. I don't I don't know for sure. Well, yeah, it's fascinating because obviously, even if you go with the um, earthly, <laughs> more simple um, conclusion that these are built at Plant Forty Two, it still raises so many questions. Like, why did the DoD put out a statement saying these are unidentified flying objects? Well, well, because that's what they're they're not going to reveal um, technology at a time when they don't want to reveal it. And keep in mind, there's there's a lot of there's a lot more questions going on here. Um, think about this for a moment. Uh, Lou Elizondo from TTSA, he is the one that brought the videos out. And so to do so, he filled out these forms called the 1910 form, which is your form to basically declassify information to allow it to go to different sources. Well, when he filled out the 1910 form, when the form came back to him, it basically said that you're able to reveal this information uh, to a contract partner or what have you to fulfill the mission that he claimed he was trying to perform, which was to categorize all of these objects so we could try to figure out what they are. Um, but instead of doing that, he literally just revealed it uh, to the public through the New York Times article, hmm. um, which presents a problem for, for me because I know if I was in there and I filled out a 1910 form and I basically checked out these videos to myself to allow, and according to the DOD, um, they stipulated that the videos were to be used between uh, Lou Elizondo and his organization, which was the, the ATIP, and any contractor that they were going to be working with, which would put the contractor under the same stipulations, uh, which is effectively an NDA. Right. But because... he didn't, he, yeah, since he didn't do that, he just he revealed those to the public, and then he, he got a little heat for it. But he didn't lose his security clearance. He didn't have any 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 problem at all. No one came after him with any fines or any legal issues or what have you. And then on top of that, they reward that organization with a contract to the arm with the army. Yeah, because um, just for those who don't who aren't able to follow or haven't don't know about Lou Elizondo, Lou, Lou Elizondo, it's come out and and officially been confirmed that he worked for the U.S. government's. Um, UFO, uh, for lack of a better way of describing it, UFO analysis program, which was right. financed by Senator Harry Reid, I believe, $28 million. It's called ATIP. Lou Elizondo ran the thing, and they were investigating um, UFOs. And right. it's all confirmed. It's not, a, it's not just me saying that or you saying that. This is 100% confirmed by the, yeah. by the government. So, okay, so he did these 1910 forms. He... Um, release this information but in fact was rewarded so it's again a case of the government's releasing information calling it ufos when we know if we're to believe you know if we're to take your base case as being the truth it's bizarre that mm -hmm. they would they would try that it's almost like a kind of disinformation campaign or right you know it's it's, hard it, it's very it's very confusing and from my standpoint i mean I, I look at these things and they're stumbling blocks i generally i i would i would stop at the 1910 form and go wait a second you were ordered under you he was an employee at the time he effectively this would be like going into a library that's a super secret library and mm -hmm. picking out things in the library and checking them out to yourself mm -hmm. and then leaving and then giving them to whoever you want um that 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 has there's a problem there yes and, especially when it stops it's this super classified videos obviously exactly yeah exactly 
Um, but but he went through the process of trying to unclassify or declassify the videos. So the videos basically came out as unclassified or declassified, um, but they were still under the order of the 1910 form that you're not allowed to, you know, do this. Even though the 1910 form is normally uh, used to allow uh, information to be given to the public, um, it even says it right on the form. So it, it does get a little confusing, and I can see where some fancy wording going back and forth where someone could probably argue the other other side of that point yeah. so I, I get that i get that too but the end result is it still actually says to only be used with a contractor so anyway so that so put putting that aside now they have this new organization so he comes out mysteriously creates this new organization and they're not leaning towards the terrestrial uh origins of these things they're leaning towards these things are possibly not of this world they had metamaterials and things like this which they subsequently found out that uh at least one of the ones that were tested is you know is terrestrial you're talking but, about um, atip now mike yeah yeah yeah, yeah. they well atip was part of osap and that's where you went into with the harry reed thing harry reed uh fu funded money into um uh, uh bigelow's uh bigelow aerospace which right. effectively ran Aus uh, osap so ATIP was under OSAP, and that program is, is what has been revealed. Um, they said that they stopped the program in 2012. We know that that's a lie, um, and that the, the program is still operating to this day under some form of, of maybe a new name or whatever. But now, now we know with the New York Times article and that they revealed that the, uh, the Senate, uh, they appropriated the funds for it, and obviously – now it's a little bit more transparent that we know that we have an ongoing investigative resource in the government that is looking into UAPs, um, UFOs, um, to see if there's really something there. So I know there's a program is still alive and well. Right. So they, they, as he said, it just raises so many new questions. But let's get to maybe a little bit more about what you said before about the, the nature of these um, devices them, themselves. Sure. I think you mentioned that this is. Is it an anti-gravity device? This is something that's been going on for many years, I believe. Is that correct? Yes. And the the problem is, is I'm not as well versed in in the physics of it. I did you know, get into some rather interesting conversations with a couple of physicists, um, and it's been it's been very entertaining a uh, few months. But the 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 technology behind it, and this is where it gets even more bizarre. If this if this story is not bizarre enough on its own. <laughs> <laughs> Let, let's let's go a little further here. So let's talk about a guy by the name of Salvatore Paez. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing his last name right. How do you spell the surname, Mike? It's P-A-I-S. Okay. Salvatore. Now, apparently, he has um, several patents that would cover every aspect of what would make a Tic Tac work. An anti-gravity device, a, a, a aircraft that's capable of, of, of using um uh, of creating negative inertia which is effectively what you would need to get the craft to move like it does um and, and several you know a superconductor so th this guy's invented a compact fusion reactor a anti-gravity device he's invented a, a special craft that uses negative inertia all of these different things and these these patents of which i think almost all of them there's five basically five or six patents um i think one wasn't approved but but five of the six patents were approved. Now this guy works for, guess who? The US Navy. Wow. 
So these patents, now if anyone, if this guy doesn't win the Nobel Prize, the Nobel Physics Prize for these patents, then something else is wrong because he, he has this new compact fusion reactor, his anti-gravity, all these different things. That's like the holy grail of each, each thing that he's invented is the holy grail of the area that he's invented it in. Superconductor, uh, superconductor, compact fusion, you know, a fusion reactor that, that obviously produces more energy than it consumes, um, an aircraft that, that flies using anti-gravity. I mean, these were things that have been approved on patents. We're not talking about someone that drew something up and put it in popular science and we all went, ooh, ah, oh, that looks great. And then, of course, we never see it like the flying cars. This is, these are patents that have been approved. When, the, when one of the patents was pushed back to the, uh, basically to the Navy or to Salvatore Paez and says, look, you know, this object obviously can't possibly exist. We don't believe it. The response they got back was Salvatore Paez's uh, boss, essentially, contacts the patent office and says, not only is it possible, but essentially we're already testing this device right now. So this, that story uh, in and of itself is rather bizarre. And the way I see it, because they have the ability of making these patents and doing them behind the scenes, if the United States government sees a patent go through the system that they can utilize for national security, then they will simply take that patent and they will put it in a hidden area of the patent office that we don't ever get to see. So that was not done. These patents were done in the public eye. They have been ultra scrutinized by everyone, uh, myself included. And looking at these patents, they look like pure gibberish but they're approved. So the patent office doesn't really approve things based on the merit of the actual object itself. They basically approve something uh, saying that, yes, you can go forward with it and we'll blah, blah, blah. But why would they do these patents in the public eye? In my mind, I would think, okay, it's complete gibberish just to get the Russia or China to look at these things and spend a ridiculous amount of money trying to duplicate what they see on these patents. And, I don't think China or Russia are that, are that stupid that they would fall for that. And yeah. they have their own physicists that would look at it and go, well, this is just complete hogwash. It's all gibberish. Makes no sense because most of the physicists that have seen these patents agree that this, is, this, this has got to be a, a joke or something because on the, on the face value, when people see it that have no physics background, it's amazing that, mm-hmm. that this would come through the patent office. They're approved and everything. Wow, we have this new technology. Or it's some form of disinfo campaign or a distraction to to turn people away from or towards whatever information that they want to reveal. So, wow, okay. it's been been a and that and that's happened over the last two and a half years. The, uh, one of the patents, one of the main patents, was approved just before the release of the videos uh, showing the Tic Tac gimbal and and go fast. Hmm. So, w- was this a coordinated effort? This you know, keep in mind, this is all Navy. So the Navy is who has the patents. The Navy is obviously the Nimitz event and the Roosevelt event. Um, of course, the Air Force was involved in, in, the, in the Nimitz event. So you have, you have this scenario where the Navy is controlling a lot of information that is unbelievable, that is just absolutely astounding, that has garnered the attention of the entire world. 
And yet we are now, it seems to be more questions now than there were when the DOD comes out and says, yeah, the, these videos are, are real. They're not saying that they're real extraterrestrial. They're just saying that they don't know what they are. And I am of the firm belief that they know exactly what they are. Mm. Well, yeah. And then there, there, again, there's so many questions, not least of which is what about the impact for society? If this technology was commercialized or, you know, right. put out to Tesla or put out to whoever it is to create and benefit from, I mean, Right. And that, that's where I put out a video that I actually got this video from Lockheed, from Stunkworks. And the video is on my channel and it shows that they were working on a small compact version fusion reactor because the only way that these craft would work is they would have to create an incredible amount of energy to do the things that they do. Uh, we're talking in the, in, in a, in a power supply that would be more than your average nuclear reactor. So you're in, you know, like nine to 20 to 50 gigawatts of power to get these craft to be able to produce the, uh, the warp uh, field around it uh, to be able to, to perform the maneuvers that they do. Um, now, do we have that technology now? I don't know, but because if you go back and you look in 2014, Lockheed Skunk Works put out a video showing that they were working on a compact fusion reactor that they said in 2014 should be ready in five years. That was in 2014. It's now 2020. So we're, we're at that time frame. And then on top of that, the person that was doing the video said, now the, the technology will be utilized for the military first, and then we'll release it to the rest of the world. That's in their video that they released to the public that no one, very few people have seen, but it's on my channel, I've got it there, and it's from Lockheed, and it actually shows uh, their work and what they're trying to accomplish, and they actually stated that they wanted to put the compact fusion reactor in an aircraft, that's that way the aircraft could stay aloft for a very long time, which is what we see in these things anyway. And Mike, so, what's your, that's your YouTube channel, what's your YouTube channel, please, for those who wanna check that out? Yeah, YouTube channel is uh, Five by Five News. So if you just if you just on YouTube and you search for Five by Five News, you'll you'll find all the all the videos and my channel. Um, and then it's it's a few months ago that I put that video out, but you'll look for one that's uh, Salvatore Paez, mm -hmm. um, and you'll you'll see uh, the video about him, and you'll also see the video uh, that Lockheed put out mm -hmm. um, that I put on my channel, so you guys can you you can see that, and you can see the direction that I'm going in with my investigation because I'm. I'm I'm not a ufologist. I'm not, um, you know, I, I don't subscribe to that. Uh, there's not really a polite way to say this. Um, <laughs> yeah, I there's just, a lot of Looney Tunes out there. Aren't there? Yeah, there are, there are, and and that's the problem with this whole subject matter is because if this is real, and this is legitimate, and all of it, and let's let's take it. To the, to, the, to the other end of the spectrum. Let's assume for a moment that these are extraterrestrial and that we are being prepared for disclosure. If, if that's the case, then the way they're going about it is, is, is even more bizarre than if they were just trying to slowly reveal that we have this technology. Hmm. Now, of course, the other argument would be, well, the technology is reverse engineered uh, from Kraft. Maybe Bob Lazar was involved. Uh, you know, who knows? But the, the reality of it is, is that there's enough evidence that I've, uh, that I've put forward 
um, that obviously isn't going to be super popular because I'm not saying they're extraterrestrials and I'm not saying what I'm basically giving you the most simple explanation there is. And the evidence that backs it up is something that we can actually measure. We can actually look at what happened and the fact that if, if these objects were off the coast of San Diego or off the coast of Jacksonville and they were there for days at a time, and we, what, what did we do? We just let them fly around at will. We didn't really have an issue with it. We didn't scramble. I mean, you, you would scramble aircraft to go up to these objects to find out what the hell they are. It would be a major priority. But it didn't, no one seemed to care. And even, even Kevin Day and some of the other, other people said that the higher command in the Nimitz event, they didn't seem to care or they, they seemed to laugh it off almost as if they knew what was going on. Hmm. So, and what, what do you think about other nations? Do you think other countries have got this, this technology as well then? Or there's I think, that, I think China um, may have something very close to us. I don't think Russia is there yet, but I think China is either there or very close. There's going to be a certain, you know, keep in mind that a lot of this technology works extremely well in space. The, the, the introduction of Space Force will probably make a lot of sense if some of this technology is revealed and we are basically, you know, informed. You know, it's almost like they're trying to, to, to baby feed us these things. It's like, we're ready. We're ready for extraterrestrials. If this thing is terrestrial, then we're certainly ready for that. Um, and if this is technology that's going to change the world anyway, and plus, especially with the production of energy that, that supposedly that this can produce, this is, this is stuff that if it doesn't come out and we find out 10 years from now that we had this 10, 20 years previous, there's going to be a lot of upset people thinking that we could have solved a lot of the world's energy crisis problems and things like that if this technology is revealed. And so do you, do you think it's being shared with the likes of Elon Musk and SpaceX and some of these uh, space contractors, third-party contractors? Uh, funny you should mention, I was at SpaceX last uh June, either June or July 23rd, I was there helping on a project that they had, and I brought up the subject there, and it seems like uh, that there's a lot of information that's that's being maneuvered around between the government and various contractors, but I don't think SpaceX is there yet, because SpaceX has not been um, in the military uh, uh, you know, forefront as far as the contracting, even though they've launched military satellites and things of that nature. They're not like a Lockheed or a Raytheon or yeah. any of those companies. So I, I don't think they work in that capacity yet. Hmm. But um, I, I, I can see that that's, that's coming. It's the direction that we're going, um, especially with all the drones and things like that, because ev every manufacturer, Boeing, Lockheed, Raytheon, you know, you name it, they, everyone has a drone that's, that's out. Hmm. And to adapt this technology into drones uh, makes a lot more sense. Um, so and, and to what extent do you think they've deployed these in, in real world situations? Do you think they've actually been, you know, in battle, battle type situations? No, I mean, that gets into that TR-3B um, uh, area, which is an area that, that, you know, creates a whole nother scenario. But I think in, 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 the, in the realm of these objects, I don't think uh, that they're, they're going to be utilized more for wartime as far as, you know, carrying weapons and things like that. I think because of the technology that they use, they can only really be used for some sort of surveillance reasons. Um, and that makes sense to me. Um, 
you know, it's just like, if, and this is going to sound stupid, but imagine in Star Trek, they always had to drop their shields to be able to beam people in and out or do various things. Yeah. And I think the same thing would have to happen if they're going to try to launch a missile or something off of one of these, um, one of these Tic Tacs that they would have to, you know, drop the warp, you know, the warp bubble that's around it to be able to do that. Uh, but that's, that gets into a realm of area that I'm not as, as versed in. And I'm sure I will be here shortly as soon as uh, Jack gets wind of this, uh, this interview. But, um, you know, there's, there's the, the questions that make sense to me right now is that if we have, if we have these uh, craft and they are in service, it, it makes sense that the Air Force version would be operational by this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kevin Day said that on the day that the flight uh, went out to do the intercept, there were 14 of these objects in the airspace around the Nimitz. So there's, that's 14. Now, if you think about how much money it would take to make one of these craft, your mind would think that, oh, it, it would be cost prohibitive to have one, you know, like a prototype would be. You, be, you would have thought hundreds of millions, wouldn't you? In the billions, it would be yeah, more, billions. probably more than the cost of an aircraft carrier. But the possibility exists based on the stuff I'm seeing is that the technology is not really that expensive. Wow. Okay. That, that is amazing because several, several um, companies were trying to manufacture a small version of, or a compact fusion reactor. One of the companies was actually called EMC squared. Mm-hmm. Um, and that company was funded by the United States Navy to develop a compact fusion reactor. Well, the Navy stopped feeding that company money, I think in 2000, 15 or 16 somewhere around there and they basically stopped now that's about the same time that apparently lockheed was picking up their own uh, or getting close to production of their own uh compact fusion reactor and then next thing we know salvatore Paz comes out with a compact fusion reactor patent all of this is all navy this is all 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 navy stuff now i know the air force has its variation of it or what have you but if you follow the trail it's amazing how much information is actually out there that no one is really piecing together and saying wait a second we've got we've got these patents that the navy has put out that effectively explains the the tic-tac gimbal go fast all of these objects that apparently are being seen and now we have a flood of tic-tac sightings all over the world and of course people have taken the uh uh, the sightings and they've applied them to sightings from the 40s and the 50s and 60s, you know, these objects being seen over military bases and stuff like that. But my understanding is it's not the exact same description, but uh, that opens the realm of, of argument. My understanding is that these things uh, first flew in late 90s, early 2000, um, and then they went into testing at Area 51 um, around 2001, 2002, 2003, and then they started going into some form of operational um, uh, testing, obviously 2004, uh, you know, since the Nimitz. Um, And that's where I'm going at the moment. Mm -hmm. The problem is, is that the the more you dig into this, the more you start to see, or the more you start to question, what is TTSA doing? Why are they here? Why are they promoting a television show? Why did this guy take these, this information, leave, and go start to work with the former 
you know, for Blink-182, Tom DeLonge, you know, <laughs> you can't write this stuff. If, if you, you couldn't make it up, could you? You couldn't no, make it up. If we were writing a script and we walked into a, you know, a movie production place and said, hey, we've got this idea for a movie, they would laugh us out of there. They'd say, this is, this is, this is not yeah. believable. Yeah, for the for the people that don't know the background, there's a there's an agency called To the Stars Academy, which was started by bizarrely enough Tom DeLonge, ex Blink One Eighty Two singer, and <laughs> I think it was Lou Elizondo who formerly was the UFO spook uh, or the head of the X Files investigation, for better, lack of a better way of explaining it, right. for the U.S. government. Hal Pudoff, I think, was also involved. Who was formerly involved in remote viewing and mm -hmm. has some very yeah intelligence contacts um so it's you're right it's it's an extraordinary story and you really couldn't make it up and it, it uh, it's just and, and the, the guys that they have put into uh, ttsa these are extremely credible people i i don't know in no way shape or form am i saying that these people are quacks or wackadoodles or anything like that this is a very highly organized credible organization based on what i see by the people that they're putting into those positions hmm. the, the the problem that comes to mind is that okay they get all these people together and what is, what is one of the first things they do they produce a television show i didn't even know that they're doing that that's strange okay yeah so the, the, they produce a tele they're in their second season now they just started their second season so they have this, this television show uh, basically, it's called Unidentified, and it explores uh, various things that ATIP was working on when Lou Elizondo was, was, you know, back when he was running the program. And now that he's out, he's effectively running the program again, but in a civilian capacity with a television show. And now apparently with a contract with the United States Army to, to, you know, to, to study metamaterials. Mm -hmm. um, and so I'm like, okay, well, that, that makes a whole lot of sense. Uh. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's bizarre that there's all the media angle because it seems like that's, unless there's some kind of intelligence angle whereby some intelligence agency is wanting to put disinformation or propaganda of some kind out, why is there so, so much media aspect well, to the thing? Yeah, well, another theory to this would be that this is all an organized, choreographed event uh, basically a soft disclosure to test how people will really react to a if these objects are actually extraterrestrial because because i don't uh, and i'm i can say with the most utmost assurity that i believe these to be terrestrial but i still have to leave the door open that they might be extraterrestrial or at least reverse engineered and so how do we get that information out to the public well one smart way to do it would be to produce a television show that creates a lot of excitement, a lot of stir, and start revealing this information slowly over time and measure how the public responds to this. Mm. And if the public response is okay, then they can probably reveal it much faster. But that's only here in the United States. If China and Russia are working on the exact same technology, how are they going to how are they going to do it? I can tell you how China is going to do it. But I, but Russia would, would be a little bit, uh, a little bit odd. But they're not going to go through this process of, of trying to soft disclose this information uh, to to the public. So that that tends to make me believe that the United States is so much more advanced than the other two countries that we're not too concerned 
about them, you know, going down that path. I mean, we saw what we did to Russia when they tried to build their version of the space shuttle. We gave them so much disinformation that they actually you know, built into their shuttle some some rather large design flaws. And, uh, you know, so that kind of worked out. I and mean, maybe we might be doing the same thing here with the Salvatore Payas uh, patents and all this, this stuff that's coming out that any physicist that would read these patents and go, okay, this is this is either a joke mm. or this guy has the most bizarre way of making this stuff work. Um, and I don't know about you, but it, but if I was working for the for the government under the Navy and I was producing uh, patents that were just so mind-boggling, earth-shattering, and it, like the holy grail of everything, I don't think I would want to have that label of being the master of disinfo of these patents because again if these patents are legitimate this guy should be winning the Pulitzer Prize. Yes, yeah, yeah. Or yeah. Nobel Prize. The Nobel Sorry, Prize. Nobel. Yeah. Um, um have you found yourself the subject of any foreign sort of investigation like you would have thought that just like in the Manhattan project there were mm -hmm. foreign agents all over the place alleged uh, supposedly during that time in the in right. the desert. Have you had any experiences, strange experiences like that? Yeah, uh, yeah, I have. And in fact, I just had one that over the over the last couple of days. Uh, it happens probably about once a month, because uh, a lot of people out there in in the UFO community wonder, okay, who is this guy? This guy comes out of nowhere, says that these things are terrestrial. He has uh, evidence to support that that they're terrestrial, made a Plant 42 or Plant 44, and all this other stuff. But this guy doesn't bring anything to the table that's tangible. I can't sit there and plop a bunch of papers down in front of you and say, here's the paper trail, here's this or whatever. Uh, and so I get that. So if, if we just remove everything that someone's expecting and just like anyone watching this from the outside and just put everything, all the facts down on, on, on the table and say, okay, which, which makes more sense? Mm. Is it? That's that we have developed this technology and that we are testing this against ourselves during training exercises, all these different things, what have you. What happens is that someone overseas sees this, and here's this guy comes out of the woodwork um, and apparently knows something. Do I know something? Yes. Do I have access? Did I have access to secret information? Absolutely. Do I feel my life is in jeopardy? Maybe. I don't know. Um, but, you know, I'll deal with that. Um, the the question that I've been asked many times is obviously specifically who is my source, and also I have been approached by people asking me questions that eventually led into what I feel is someone trying to recruit me to to give them information as opposed to revealing it to the public. You know, and I, and I've been pretty quiet over the last few months. Yeah, you know, but dealing with other things, but. Um, you know, over the next few weeks, I'm going to be putting more information out uh, that I have. Um, a lot of people have kind of come to me and uh, basically said, hey, I'm so glad you're going this direction because it makes a whole lot more sense than what, I agree. what the other directions people are going. And, and I, I appreciate everyone having their own a, a theory of, of how this happens. And I, and I just hope that someone says, you know, what, Mike. You can come in here too. We'll look look at what you got because no one really knows, yeah, you know exactly what's going on. Because I don't know if the information that's been given to me is a hundred percent legitimate either. Yeah. So, but it makes sense. Um, 
I think we should say as well, I think you, you, I know you kind of alluded earlier, and I don't expect you to confirm or deny this, but you said you started in the Air Force uh, sort of electronic intelligence, and then you mm -hmm. moved on to, uh, you said, quote, other things. So right. I think we might imagine what those other things were that we might be wrong, we might be right, but maybe you worked in the US intelligence services. And, and I know that you were also a cybersecurity um, tester. So you were, they would ask you to, okay, we've got this information in this location. You need to try to hack, uh, you know, hack into this to test our, right. or, or, so that's obviously can give you some uh, skills, which you probably can take with you and to continue to access information. Now, that, I'm just saying that for the, for the, well, that, that, that would, that would be a good theory. And the, the other end of the spectrum too, is not, not even so much that, it's the people that you meet. Mm -hmm. And over time, when you meet uh, various people in different capacities, what have you, you start to develop a relationship. Uh, and a lot of it is based on trust. And the information that, uh, that some people have, I mean, a lot of people question, well, you have to have a top secret security clearance to have that information. Well, I did have a top secret security clearance. Mm -hmm. I don't have it anymore, but I did have it. Mm -hmm. um, but at the at the time that you're working on these projects you become privy to information that was compartmentalized which is how our government uh, works uh, a lot of the security is that it's compartmentalized so one one hand doesn't know what the other hand is doing necessarily but if you're the person going in in both places you start to be able basically you can put the pieces of the puzzle together if you're privy to information from several different sources and it starts making sense and that's effectively is what's happened here is that i've garnered information from several different sources and the sources could not put the pieces of the puzzle together but since i've received information from several different sources now i now i can look at it and go okay now this makes sense now I, now i can you know put this together but I want someone out there a lot more intelligent than I to help me piece this together. There, there's one thing I want to, I want to mention that I think is going to be a rather unique thing that I want to bring to the table here. Yeah. If all of these uh, sightings have been documented and we see video, we see, you know, we see various things and we know that probably 80% of the videos out there are just complete crap and just made up or after effects or whatever. And, and we get that, or or just you know can be explained away just like Project Blue Book explained away you know most of what it what it uh, investigated. But if we have a lot of the more current uh, sightings documented, especially ones that say these craft are huge craft, then I did something uh, back during the Las Vegas investigation when I was investigating the the, the Las Vegas shooting. Mm -hmm. um, the attorneys needed a visual representation of the event as quickly as possible the next day so that everything was still in the same place. The vehicles were still parked where they were and they were trying to hire someone to fly over, do whatever. I just ordered a satellite image and I was able to get that to them and they were floored. They couldn't believe it. They said, wow, okay, so this is the, the satellite image. It's the only one in existence of the, of the morning after the mass shooting and I was able to show where everything was and the lawyers loved it so that got me to think well i can do that for this whole series of ufo sightings that we have here if in fact a ufo was seen at 1102 a.m and such and such whatever 
I can go and search all of the databases of all of the satellite images to find out if there was a satellite image taken at about that time. Now, if there's thousands of sightings, we should be able to come up with some form of extra evidence that would support at least a certain percentage of these sightings if we delved into researching all of those satellite images to do that. And that's something that I'm surprised no one has done because it just makes sense. If someone says that they saw a UFO in Brazil at blah, blah, blah time, and we have a satellite over, overhead, why don't we just order the image from that time and see if we catch one by chance on, on that image? Um, that would be some, that would be a great support to go in and say that these things exist or they don't exist or what have you. And not um, everyone has that access like that you have, Mike, right? I mean, that you well, can't order that, can you? Well, you, you can, but it's just, it's tedious. It's very time consuming. And if you don't know what you're doing or you don't know what you're looking at, because you know, I'm trained to look at satellite images to determine, is that a water tower or is that a UFO? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so that, that's, you know, that's, that's the difference um, is being able to ident readily identify what you're looking at and not waste hours and hours and hours doing this. So it's a project that I would like to get started. Um, it wouldn't take a whole lot of effort anyway. And we can go through like the, the entire MUFON you know, database, uh, all of these different databases that are out there of all these sightings, and eventually uh, either corroborate some of these things or you know, quickly discuss some of them. But as, as time moves forward, that makes sense that that should be something that's done. Hasn't, hasn't been done yet that I know of, but it should be a project that uh, could be started. I'd love, I'd love to uh, tackle that project. And what do you make of Bob Lazar then? Do you, do you, I know you're based around the same area as uh, Mr. Lazar, or at least he was at, at some point located. Well, one thing I can say about Bob is, um, the one thing I can say with utmost assurity is that I believe he believes everything that he's saying. Now, do I believe everything he's saying? I, I, I can't wrap my head around a lot of the stuff that he's saying. Um, I'm not saying he's a liar. I'm just saying I don't have enough supportive evidence to, you know, to to say yes. I mean, a lot of a lot of stuff was brought up about Element 115, um, and then all of a sudden, a few years later, Elephant Elephant <laughs> Element 115 yeah. um, is basically discovered or or produced. And uh, but if anyone, you could look you could look forward into the elemental chart and say, okay, well, element 126 is the last one. They're going to come up with element 127 eventually, and it's going to have to have this weight. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, you could predict that or whatever. Um, but uh, do I believe he worked at S4 and worked on uh, reverse engineering uh, nine, uh, you know, extraterrestrial craft from, was it whatever the name of the... Zeta Reticuli or someplace. Zeta Reticuli, yeah. Yeah, do I believe that? No, I, I don't necessarily believe that. And, and again, that kind of circles me back, is that I'm not a part of the UFO community. Mm -hmm. when, when I got, and I, st I started looking at it before I, before I went on the Jim Breslow show on November 4th of last year, I said, you know what, I'm, I'm just going to jump in and see what happens mm -hmm. um, and say my story and see where it goes. And when you do that... <laughs> You, you you really don't know what's going on. <laughs> you you meet a lot of people that um, that you you kind of they're intriguing, everything's interesting, but at the same time you don't necessarily want to be associated with them. So Lou Elizondo the other day, uh, when he was interviewed by George Knapp, 
he actually said the same thing feeling that I do. I kind of want to keep myself distance from, from the overall community, yes. so to speak. And it's not because I'm a jerk and that I don't want to share everything. It's just that I don't want to be influenced. Uh, I don't want to have, you know, my work necessarily influenced by someone calling me every day saying, Hey, I just saw this blue orb flying by my house and come check it out. I'm like, dude, yeah, I got a lot of things. You know, yeah. Yeah. If, if they have some extremely compelling evidence, I would love to look at it, but then again, who am I? I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm a, I'm, I'm a seasoned investigator, if you want to call it that. And I do look at things from a perspective that's a little bit out of the norm, which is why I was able to do the things in Las Vegas that I was able to do. But at the sure. same time, I don't have the resources, uh, you know, to, to delve into some of that stuff. But what I do have is the motivation to find out exactly what's going on in this particular situation as it relates to the Nimitz event. Uh, and you know the Roosevelt event as well, but but so more so the Nimitz event because obviously it's garnered more attention and it seems to have a, a bigger uh, paper trail. Now, one thing I will reveal on your show that I have I was going to reveal down the road, but I'll go ahead and do it now for you. Wow. Okay. There was um, several FOIA requests that were put in uh, to the government for information as it relates to the Nimitz. And, and I'll send you this, the actual screenshot of one of the FOIA requests as it came back. Okay. The information all delved into the Navy's um, uh, keeping of records of what happened with the Nimitz and how a lot of the records weren't there. And then all of a sudden they were found. But wasn't working there. He was working there. All these different things that came back. But one of the things that came back that was extremely interesting to me was a FOIA request came back and it was talking about the various Navy uh, installations that might have the information that the person is looking for, but it actually stated, most likely the information that you're looking for is with the Department of the Air Force. Hmm. And that was right in a FOIA request. It says, you're probably looking in the wrong area and the reason why you're not getting your FOIA request is because the Air Force actually has the information that you're looking for. And that to me, was kind of like a vindication. It was like, there it is, right there. They just admitted that the Air Force was involved with the Nimitz event, and they did it in a weird roundabout way through a FOIA request by basically telling the person, hey, we don't have this information. Actually, obviously, the Air Force has it because they're the ones that came in and took all of our data, and it went through you know, these different uh, locations and what have you, and uh, obviously Wright-Patterson would be, be one of them, uh, which is where the Air Force Research Laboratory is. Um, you know, so that gave me a little bit uh, of a of a boost to see that. Um, so, so these put the a Freedom of Information Act. That's a FOIA request, Freedom of Information Act request yeah. into the Navy to say, and and what was the specifics of the request? Mike? Let me actually let me let me pull it up here. Sure. I have to, hopefully, I won't lose you doing this. Still with me? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Okay. All right, so I'm on my phone, so I'm going to pull up the actual request and I'll read it to you. Turn this sideways here. Okay. All right, it says right here it says, ONI has no records responsive to your request as it is not within the ONI's missions and functions. The information you have requested would more likely be under the purview of the Department of the Air Force. Hmm. Wow. And then right below it, it goes into the several, uh, you know, it goes into the Farragut Technical Analysis Center, talks about the Kennedy Irregular Warfare Center, uh, Hopper Information Services, um, all these different things that are Navy. 
But the very first thing it says is that we probably don't have the information you're looking for. The Air Force has it. And that is something that, I'm, that I, I just ran across. And I couldn't believe it. I'm saying that that's basically them admitting that, you know, the Air, the Air Force uh, probably has that information. Um, that's so like maybe, the last piece of the puzzle. Yeah. When you when you have the Air, the Air Force individuals on mm-hmm. the on the ship collecting right. the bricks. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And, and, and that makes sense. Um, and, and then, you know, a lot of people will argue that they would never test these objects this way, that they would test them, you know, at area 51 and what have you. Well, you, you can't really get a real world test until you actually put it out there. So someone convinced someone to allow this type of a test to be done. Um, and they made certain that they were done during times when that they, they knew that the, the aircraft would be in a training mode that no one has to worry about someone accidentally shooting these down. But both pilots that flew their planes out to the object, both pilots were specifically asked, do you have any weapons on you? They weren't asking, a lot of people think they were asking them just in case they needed to shoot this object down. Mm-hmm. My thought now is that they weren't asking them to make, to, to make certain that they would be able to shoot the object down. They were asking them because they wanted to make certain that they wouldn't shoot yeah. these things down. Um, uh, yeah, and then as you said earlier, the cap point was the same. So whoever was orchestrating the whole thing, right? It sounds right. like they were they were um, navigating them to this to the same point because whoever was organizing it at the top level, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, had had the ATC guys involved as well, maybe. Exactly. Um, and, and what and, and the things that were again the, the information I'm trying to get. Uh, at, out so that more people understand the reason why I'm coming at it from this angle is the information I've already given you, plus the fact that the the Nimitz apparently went into general quarters. They they went into a a a military stance that they were probably going to be in a situation where they would have to uh, have ordinance or they would have to they would have to do something. Essentially, it's like going to battle stations. Uh, with you know, uh, getting into too much detail, but um and that is something that's that's not you don't see that on uh the the nimitz encounters which dave Beatty did an incredible job making making that uh, documentary and uh, if any people haven't watched it that is is absolutely a a, a very well done documentary well there's um, the, yeah the history channel has a five-part series that and then there's the nimitz encounters which i think was on youtube which is worth yeah. watching as well yeah Absolutely, absolutely, and for and for an individual to do a documentary that detailed and that well done, um, he, he full uh, absolute utmost respect for for him and in, in doing that. And also, you know, uh, when when you bring information like this out, then you're going to get heat from from all different sides. Um, and and I know that some of the information I'm putting forward kind of goes against the. The, the grain of the of your average ufologist who who I guess has a, maybe a, a bias towards these objects being tra- extraterrestrial or what have you and and you know they think I'm discounting or that I'm counting out some people have called me a shill or this or that and I'm like well okay well where's my check because you know? <laughs> I haven't received that yet yeah but uh, you know so all of all of these things taken into account you you have to start wondering why is it that these other questions that make logical sense, at least they make a lot of sense for me to ask, why isn't Lou Elizondo or some of these these people who were, who were the questions should be asked, why aren't they, number one, being asked the question? 
Mm. And two, why aren't they answering it? Um, because it would it would it would make sense that they would recognize that the simple things that I'm putting forward are questions that they, that they should respond to. Um, and that you know we're basically hearing crickets, so not, nothing so far. So I'm going to put it out there in a little bit more mm. formal way um that these are situations that kind of need to be addressed because i i can't get past the 1910 form you know yeah at that at that point everything should have stopped um well i think senator rubio is also on the case now right so he it sounds like they're going to be someone's going to be asking these these difficult questions and well these obvious questions as you say Mm -hmm. um so uh, I, th- I think we're making headway, but I think Rubio is just another politician and a long line of politicians that have promised us that they will get to the bottom of whatever this is. Obviously, something's going on. There's there's too many sightings. I mean, there's too many uh, too many situations that either a we are we have the most incredible technology that is just mind-boggling and is, has taken leaps and bounds over what we've had previously and we have to explain how that happened mm-hmm. uh, and, and of course the, the, I guess one of the explanations is we have the Navy with their patents coming out mm-hmm. so you, you have that aspect and then as you as you move forward you have these politicians that promised that they would they would get to um, you know answering these questions for us remember we had Clinton going there and uh, yeah. I think Ronald Reagan even brought that subject up and so you have all this, and you and you start to wonder who is actually going to come back with these answers. Mm. Well, even the answer it has to be us. It has to be the public. It has to be the media, mm. because we're we're the only ones that are going to ask the right questions. And if we keep pressing the issue, someone's going to break. Yeah, someone somewhere is going to come out, leak some documents, um, or someone's going to come out and say that okay, uh, you know, I think the public's ready for it. Here's what's actually going on. Mm. Um, so if there's anyone out there who's listening and wants to get hold of Mike, uh, <laughs> Mike Turber, tell us what, what, what's, what, what are your um, details and where, can, where do you want, just in case you want people to find you. I know you're on Twitter. You've got your website, 5x5, new, your newswire, 5x5 mm-hmm. news. Yeah, just any search for 5x5 news. But if you just want to reach me directly or send me an email, just simply MikeTurber at gmail.com. Okay. Very simple. Uh, that that and I'll I'll get that now and, and I'll respond to everyone, um, you know. And, and if someone's out there that that's like-minded that you know want to team up uh, and and go forward with some of the ideas that I put forth, uh, I'm I'm more more than happy to reveal some of the the back end of this information. Um, that someone that's that's you know really wants to work work together to go forward. Um, you know, it it, it it this whole thing needs to be answered. There's there's too many. There's too many questions. There's too many situations that that the public, you know, keep in mind, if this story was properly uh, put out into the media, don't you think that this would have been a front page story like for the New York Times? Oh, yeah. It's, it, this could be yeah. the biggest story of the century. I mean, it's right. It's, it's, yeah, because it, because it wraps up everything in one. One, the biggest question, are we alone? That's that's a huge question. That warrants being on the front page. Two, we've obviously developed or possibly have developed technology that will solve a huge number of problems, up to including you know compact uh, compact fusion reactors, superconducting aircraft that has anti gravity. I mean, imagine uh, airplanes that don't have to worry about how much weight they have on board. 
I mean, so all of these different things that if that technology exists, we, you know, it would solve a lot of problems. It might create a lot more problems too, but at the same time, I think it would solve more problems than, than it would hurt, harm us. And, you know, if we have it, you know, we're all sitting here, every one of us is sitting here listening to this going, well, we obviously don't have it because they would reveal it, or we obviously have it. They don't want us to use it because there's some other nefarious activity that they need to keep it for themselves so we, we can dominate the world, all of these different things. But those answers uh, that reject releasing that information to the public are starting to become less and less uh, material right now because I think I think we're ready. I think everyone's ready for disclosure if that's the case or uh, or whatever else. Well, you're um, right. And, and well, both sides of the coin. On the one side, as you say, it, it, you've told us very clearly and articulately that this is not an extraterrestrial, uh, you know, it, it, subject. But even on the other hand, it's still the biggest story ever because it's like the creation of a new combustion. It's like the creation of the combustion engine or the start of the industrial revolution. This could right. be as big a game changer potentially as maybe even the internet or. Uh, and such a huge driver for the for the U.S. economy and for the global economy right. for the protection of um, you know the environmental concerns that we're facing right now. So there's exactly. so many angles to it, and then there's the intelligence angle, the military angle, the cover-up angle. So <laughs> it's an extraordinary <laughs> and captivating story. It is. It is. But every day we watch the news, and what do we hear? Coronavirus. We hear about the yep. riots. We hear about all these different things, but. You know, we, we don't hear about all of this that would be a game changer. The holy grail of every possible science that you can think of is wrapped up in these patents and is wrapped up in the technology that would obviously make these aircraft work. And if, even if they're extraterrestrial, it doesn't matter what the answer is. There's only three answers to the question. And one of the answers has to be right. Either they're extraterrestrial or they're terrestrial. If they're terrestrial, they're either ours or not ours. So which is it? Um, you know, because the, obviously the objects are here. I have, I have nothing. I have nothing in my being that tells me that these objects don't exist. I believe absolutely everything the, these Navy sailors have, have said. Uh, you know, and I don't think that there's some world mass hallucination going on or what have you. You know, so the time, the time is here. The time is now. And instead of, you know, maybe if the media got on board and really put a lot more effort into it, it's not some. You know, because keep in mind that New York Times article that was stripped down from from whatever it was to whatever it is now, and why they would put in there. Now, keep and we'll talk about the New York Times article in just a second. If Eric Davis is going to put out information that's going to essentially state that we have recovered craft from out of this world, and it's in the New York Times and not the National Enquirer, it's in the New York Times, mm. then that to me is either incredibly irresponsible reporting <laughs> or we need to know more about that. Absolutely. <laughs> well, the New York yeah, times, it's the, one of the most respected papers in the world. The editor is never going to go out. You wouldn't have thought unless he's triple checked all his sources. Exactly. Uh, yeah. I mean, and, and, I, and I'm, I'm in, I'm in contact with Eric. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to try to, delve into that a little further and just see where where he was going with that um you know may, maybe obviously he knows something that that we don't so you know what is it um and uh and for them to let that that that's a bombshell 
I mean, why that? The whole article should have been about that. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Because that's that's the bigger part of the article. I mean, if you look around and you see what, what are people talking about, about the New York Times article, they're talking about what Eric said, which is not really what the article was about. Um, but, you know, obviously there's going to be a follow-up to that because it, it warrants it. And, uh, you know, they've had to do a couple of corrections since the article came out. Well, but, um, the other point, you may you may recall Tucker, I think it was Tucker Carlson addressed yeah. to the president um, that he'd heard from very senior uh, political sources, I'm guessing this was Harry Reid, that uh, this then senator of, I think it was Nevada, sorry if I got that wrong, um, that he'd heard that there had been some kind of crash retrieval. And the president said uh, he wasn't aware of that. So when it's and, and, circulating that, at that, that level, we need to get at, you know, it's one of these things, you, I'm surprised that it already isn't the biggest story. It's a huge story, but you're, you're absolutely right. Why isn't there more focus? Exactly. And, and Tucker at the end of his shows or whatever, and, I, and I've been on, you know, I've had my stuff on his show before too. So I, I know how his show operates. But, and at the end, whenever he asked those questions, it's like, why is that? Why, why is this not the biggest story? Why are we not having this discussion every day until this information comes out? And those, those are very valid questions. Mm. But the reality is, is that people want to hear about the Kardashians, they want to hear about coronavirus, they want to hear about the riots, and if, if, which brings up another question. If this information is not so earth-shattering anymore, if people want to hear about all this other stuff, throwing out that we have, we're now in contact with aliens and they've been here and we've, they've given us technology, people would be like, okay, that's cool, sweet, all right, thank you, and we move on. Uh, and yeah. it wouldn't be that earth-shattering, but if, but if Chloe breaks a nail or something, we, you know, that's, that's going to make the headline. So, okay. Uh, yeah. yeah. Mike, I've taken up a lot of your time today and I sure. so appreciate it because you're absolutely fascinating. I'm one final question. How sure. confident are you that, that, that you're right on the right path here? I know you've got an amazing array of sources. You obviously don't want to divulge those. How confident are you that, that this is a, a real device and that it's genuinely produced by the the u.s and in the inventory of the U, u.s military if i had to put a percentage on it and if i had to take into account that the possibility exists that some of the information that was given to me may be either tainted or not exactly accurate but which is also why i try to do my own research i believe that i am probably 90 80 to 90 percent uh correct on on the issue now whether or not a specific craft was made of plant 42 or plant 44 that can bounce back and forth. But as far as the, uh, the objects being ours, I have no doubt in my mind about it. So I'm a, in my mind, I'm a hundred percent, but if I had to put it out there to the public and say, look, if, if I was looking at this information from the outside and I had to put everyone's theory onto a table and start picking which ones make the most, most sense, I believe mine makes the most sense. I mean, it, it answers a lot of the questions um that are out there and uh and based on the the information I'm, i received from my sources and also the briefing that was in 2005 i the nimitz is hands down that's our stuff you know that was an air force uh uh operation and it was in conjunction with the navy that one i have i don't, I don't have a problem with that at all other people will have a problem with it but you know that's what happened and if you um, have you been given any guidance from the U.S. agencies 
to disseminate anything specific regarding this subject? No, well, I'm, I'm not under, I'm not under, well, I'm under different, um, for lack of a better term, I call it NDA, but you're, you're looking at, at, at an act that was passed in 1974 mm -hmm. um, that prohibits me from, from divulging uh, classified information or anything that I may have learned at that time. But since I've left, then now I'm on the journalist side and that puts me in a different category. It also puts Lou Elizondo in a different category, which is why he and I kind of have a similar thing in that he's out now, he can talk, but he also uh, can't say specific information that he knows is, is classified that may be uh, a problem with national security. So sure. I get that. So I'm not gonna reveal any, any of that stuff. But, but you don't find that they're trying to direct you or, or anything like that? I wonder. No, I, I, I've been pretty lucky in that regard. I have had contact from people that 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 have you know kind of warned me about certain things and going into certain areas. But most sure. of most of that was was more on a personal personal yeah. side. But I haven't had any any official uh, contact um, basically saying, "Hey, you need to shut the hell up, or we're going to come pick you up, or anything like that." So, but I'm but I'm also going to be very careful about. The, that's the problem with 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 this information is hanging on to it and trying to guide whatever it is that I'm, the information that I'm putting out. So it steers people towards what I'm trying to get at without actually saying yeah, those words that get me in trouble. So, you know, <laughs> I, it's a very fine line to, to, to have a balance on. And finally, there was something on Jim Breslow's show that you mentioned about your phone performed some pretty amazing feats of, uh, <laughs> breaking the laws of physics. Is there anything you want to say about that? I totally understand if you don't want to refer to that, but. Well, I mean, the, the, here's the, the bigger question is, is, is that day I alluded to me flying on a Tic Tac to a certain location on the East Coast. Did that happen? No, that did not happen. Um, did I lie about it? You can question that if you have the full context of what I was doing with Jim Breslow at the time. Um, so uh, Jim, Jim kind of knows that, uh, you know, now he does. But at the time, I was trying to put out a point, which is why I reached back and was going to open up the curtain so people could see outside. Say, and I just wanted to see Jim's reaction. And yeah. I likened that to when, you know, when during the movie, Oh God, when God walks into the, into the courtroom that kind of thing just so if if that person can believe for just that split moment that once i pull that curtain back they're going to see a tic tac then that is that kind of brings up a whole nother area of the human consciousness and psychology of what's going on behind this because we are being screwed our minds are being screwed with by the government because they're telling us one thing and telling us another and we have to go dig up information the the question of my personal um knowledge of, of tic tac do i have actual personal knowledge of tic tac yes i do uh, do i have um information that would prove to you that i flew a tic tac to the east coast no um but uh that was a, a more of a social experiment if you want to call it that uh but at the same time you know it it, it is what it is it also gave me a lot of grief and i had to deal with that but uh you know Okay. When you when you sit back and you and you look at this and people go, oh well, now your credibility shot and what have you, they have to know the full context of what what was going on at that time. But all the other information uh, that's that that was wrapped up into that whole interview 
um, is 100% legit, 100% correct, and I stand behind it, and I'm still working actually with the same sources um, as, as I push forward, but it's a very careful uh, path to follow, and, um, you know, not being on the inside anymore creates a lot more issues. I was just at Plant 42 just the other day, um, and I have some rather interesting video from there or what have you that I'll, I'll probably release here pretty soon. Um, you know, but because plant 42 is part of Edwards air force base, isn't it? And it, they bring in all the third party contractors to that location. Is that correct to, uh, well, plant 42 is actually ran by, uh, by Wright Patterson. A lot of people know okay. plant, plant 42 is ran by Wright Patterson, but it's also, um, in conjunction with Edwards. A lot of people think that, you know, area 51 is in conjunction with Nellis. It's actually more, more so with Edwards. Uh, but Edwards, Edwards is only what, 20 miles away. Um, and I went, I went to Edwards as well. Uh, but Plan 42, um, you know, if, if you really want to look for a secret facility, try to fly in Plant 44. <laughs> I never heard of that <laughs> one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So go on Google Maps and hit Plant 42. You'll pop right over to Plant 42 in Palmdale because that information has been pretty much released. But try to find Plant 44. Um, and I'll tell you what Plant 44 is um, because I don't think anyone's ever really delved into that uh, area either. I'm sure someone somewhere has. Uh, but Plant 44 is predominantly ran by Raytheon, um, and that that's going to be one of your other major contractors when you start looking into who makes what. Raytheon, um, uh, if if a lot of people don't know, is actually much larger than Lockheed. So Lockheed Skunk Works is obviously at Plant 42. You've got Boeing over there. You got uh, you know Martin Marietta and, and what have you. So, uh, but when you go to Plant 44, you're going to see that it's entirely dominated by Raytheon. Okay. Well, Mike. Turbert, thank you so much. This has been an absolutely fascinating discussion. I really do appreciate your time. Really mm -hmm. telling stuff. So thank you so much. And uh, I'll let you go and enjoy the rest of your weekend. Guys and girls, thanks so much for listening. Thanks very much to Mike Turber for joining us today. Please go ahead and leave us a review if you like the podcast. Don't hesitate to reach out to me at ben at the system is sorry, ben at systemisrig.com with any comments. Have a great one, guys. Thanks so much.